Good morning, Chair City Church. I'm glad you chose to join us. It is so good to connect with you in this difficult time in our nation, in our lives. God be with all of us. God is with us. So I've mentioned to you before that when I, as a minister, as a pastor, uh, when people realize this is my role and position in life, uh, the responses I hear, the most common one is, that's nice. Uh, there are times when maybe people haven't gathered themselves uh, quick enough upon being surprised by, you know, I'm a pastor. They would just say, oh. And then there are, you know, from time to time, there's that, oh, you know, I, I really, I've been meaning to get to church. Yeah, it's a good thing. I, I'm going to start going to church again. Here and there, it's not common, but every now and then, someone will look at me and say, you know, I don't believe in God. And over time, I've come to respond to that statement again when circumstances lend to it, when I feel it out and think this is okay to put forward, I will ask the person, who is that God that you don't believe in? And usually at that point, I will, they'll begin to describe, I'll hear about a God that does not resemble anything like the God that I believe in. And usually their perspective of God has been derived from a, a, a pile of negative experiences and influences. Now, and yet that's not the God that I know at all, who they're describing. Now, at times, the conversation might get to a point where they would ask, well, what God do you believe in? Who is the God that you believe in? And at that point, I will look at them and I will say, I believe in Jesus. And I believe that Jesus was God with skin on. So this is why we're doing the series, I Am, Seven Statements of Jesus. Seven Statements of Jesus. That was my iPad telling me things. Maybe that was my iPad telling me who the iPad thinks is God, but it's recovered and we're back now, right? So these seven statements of Jesus are found in the book of John. Jesus wants everyone to know who he is. And he's brought us these statements, these I am statements to tell us. And they are bold and audacious statements. These are Jesus's signature statements. So today we're going to jump into the scripture, John chapter 15. We'll start off with verses one through two. So while you in your Bibles or on your phone, hope you have a friendlier iPad than I do. You get over to John chapter 15. I'm just going to share a few words to give you some time. Now, right out of the gate in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the vine. His listeners at that time, when they heard Jesus say, I am, those words, their minds went right back to Exodus chapter 3. Some of you might be familiar with this, where God is meeting Moses. God is inhabiting the burning bush. And God is sending Moses to lead his people, the Jews, out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. And Moses is wondering, what are the people going to think when I come and tell them this? You know, what God is asking me. And he says to God, who should I tell them is sending me? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. When Jesus said, I am, the people understood that he was saying, I 
am God. Jesus was fully man and fully God. So let's read John chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. And Jesus is speaking. And he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. So in these verses, what we learn is Jesus is the vine, God the Father is the gardener, and we are the branches. Now, if you look at a good amount of our current spiritual environment in our culture, it does not lead us to a mindset that embraces this kind of uh, a formula, if you will. Right? Jesus is the vine. God's the Father. We're the branches. Some of us rather see it as you're the vine, you're the gardener, and everyone else is the branch. And I myself vacillate into this from time to time, this mindset. So everyone else is a branch, and for the most part, they exist to help me arrive at the place that I want to, I need to, I desire. I mean, I don't mean any harm. It's, it's, I'm cool. It's just, it's just how I see life, and, and I don't know of any other way. It just seems to come naturally. I thought this way till I was 28 years old. And I had many examples of watching people live out their life this way, where they are the vine, they are the gardener, and it is their garden, right? Kind of a self-centered, right, way of maintaining their life, surviving to keep it going, literally and practically. So I grew up in uh, Brooklyn, in particular in a neighborhood called Bensonhurst. There was a lot of Italians there. I think over a couple of hundred thousand Italian people lived in this neighborhood. And it was common, believe it or not, for people to have gardens, like these small vegetable gardens that mostly were occupied by tomato plants. And I mean, they grew these crazy tomatoes, just like lush, large red tomatoes. And it was like a kind of a contest who on the block would grow the biggest and the best tomatoes. Now, me and my friends, we would often play in the street. And what I mean the street is, you know, like where cars would drive through. And after one car would drive through, we'd run out there, you know, playing stickball or punch ball. We'd get a few plays in, and then we'd run back out when a car would come by. Now, while we were doing this, the older Italian men, they would be sitting on their steps, right? Close to their concrete steps, close to their garden. And they also would have a knife in one hand, a pretty good-sized knife, and a scowl on their face. And they were just waiting for us to hit the ball into their little garden. And when, it, when that happened, if we couldn't get to the ball first, and most of all, we wouldn't try, they would go grab our Spalding ball, pick it up, look at us, cut it in half, and throw it out to us one half at a time. And then we would curse at them, and they would curse back at us. And then we'd grab another ball, and we'd start playing, and we'd begin the whole thing over again. And on a good day, that would happen two or three times, right? Now, <laughs> so from what, now that might seem bizarre, but what you're seeing is, you know, each one is out for themselves. And that's the way really most of my neighbors approach things. There were some really cool things about my neighbors and growing up there in, in Brooklyn, but really most people had a view of life, a mindset that says it's more about what I want, what I would think is best for me and what I can do for myself, meaning I'm the vine, I'm the gardener, it's my garden, it's my life. Now, here's the problem with this. You and I, we're not very good at knowing how to grow and care for a garden, meaning a life, that's going to bless others and glorify God. And that's what we're in this for. That's what Christianity is, to enjoy God and to glorify Him. 
So we're thinking, you know, it's my life. Again, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm doing the best I can. Maybe, maybe you're not hurting one, hurting anyone. But let me ask you a question. Are you blessing anyone? Are you encouraging others? Are you helping them? So many issues that have come upon you in relationships, those relationships that mean so much to you, they're coming from this perspective that I am the vine, I'm the gardener, and this is my garden and it's my life. And, and you, the person I'm in relationship with, you need to be the branch, meaning you need to produce fruit that's going to turn around and give me what I expect. You know, I had expectations when we went into this relationship. You're going to bear fruit that's going to give me what I need. Because what I need is so legit and what I want. And you know, where the conflict comes in, they're not on board. You know why? Because they think they're the vine and they're the gardener and it's their garden, their life. And they had expectations too. And you're supposed to be their branch and fulfill their needs and their wants. And all this is a problem because it misses the core principles of true spirituality. The truth that there is a God, that he is the gardener and that there is a vine and that true vine is Jesus Christ. And this and he and he alone, Jesus, is the true source of spirituality. So you and I, we find our true lives, the lives that God intended for us, not within ourselves, not attached to ourselves. But when we attach ourselves to the one true vine, Jesus Christ. So in John chapter 15, verse 2, Jesus says, he, God, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Jesus is fully man and fully God. Well, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So I lived in, I lived in Connecticut, central Connecticut, and every spring I'd watch, just no other way, see my Polish neighbors prune their trees and bushes. These trees and bushes were in pretty good shape. I was already impressed. And man, they would hack the heck out of these things. And I'd be thinking, what are you doing? I mean, it looked like a perfectly good tree to me. It looked like a pretty good bush to me. It wasn't hurting anybody. It wasn't in the way. It was painful to watch. And then as the days passed, I would see these trees and bushes just grow and blossom better than ever. I and mean, it was a really sweet thing to see. You see, the gardener knows if he prunes the tree and the bush in the right place, there's going to be growth. For many of you, you know, you, and, and those who are kicking this Christian thing around, believing in Jesus, you, you see fruit coming from your life. I mean, you're better now than you were before, for the most part, right? Though God desires more for you. The Apostle Paul in Philippians talks about having more in Christ. He wants you to blossom even more. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. The Apostle Paul writes, God will do more in your life than you can imagine, more than you can measure, more than you've asked him for. To him be the glory in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. You see, in this pruning, for the sake of you blossoming, God has to remove some stuff. It hurts, but it helps. Now, some of you right now are in the middle of a difficult situation. I'm talking about a situation that existed before the current crisis came upon us. And, and, and this most difficult situation that we are all living in. So it's sort of compounded, right? You, you, you're waking up and you can't believe that you are living the life 
that you're in. I want you to know God knows you and he's calling you through these verses, through his word. He's calling you to, and me, us to grow more, to be more fruitful, to expand in the people and the person that we are right now. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? God is calling us to something greater. This is an opportunity. Yes, it's pain. Yes, it's sorrowful. And every day I come upon more and more situations that I could not even have imagined that this situation, this crisis, this virus is affecting. Seeing people who love one another can't come together, can't be besides each other. People can't put, you know, struggling with finances, their emotions. But I'm telling you, in the midst of all of this, God is calling us to more because he's a supernatural miracle driving God. And he always works his miracles through human beings, through you and I, his greatest miracles. You grow more to love more, more kindness, more patience, more self-control. What would your life look like today? How much would it benefit those who you love and who love you if you had more, more love, more patience, more kindness? So if we are the branches in Jesus' example, then what should we be doing? Well, we should bear more fruit, meaning we should be fruitful. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus is saying, Remain in me, the true vine, and you will be fruitful. Now, I think this part right here is where a lot of us kind of get off track. And when I say a lot of us, I'm in there with you. And, I, and I've noticed this in myself from time to time, huh? And it's probably there more than I realize it, especially in our culture, right? It, meaning I'm talking about it gets kind of cloudy in how we understand our relationship with Jesus, what he's saying and how we grow in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, our Creator, when Jesus says you will be fruitful, I want you to pause here and I want you to try and picture what thoughts do you have when Jesus says, you know, be fruitful. Remain in me, be fruitful. Remaining me seems like a good thing and be fruitful. What's coming to your mind, right? What expectations do you have in this kind of a, an exchange, a transaction, a way of living out your relationship with God? And so now that you've kind of given it some thought, I want to ask you something. Have you ever seen a fruit tree? I mean, can you imagine walking up to an apple tree and seeing the apple tree reach over, pick one of its own apples, take a big bite out of it and say, man, that was just delicious. That was, that was good. Now I'm messing with you. What I'm trying to give you is an image of us kind of taking care of ourselves, indulging ourselves, immersed in ourselves. This mindset, this way of understanding God, it, 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 it tends to creep in and turn us towards ourselves and to be a bit more self-centered than God-centered, right? A bit more uh, gratifying ourselves, huh? Meaning we are expecting now as we do these good things for God, a.k.a resting in a vine, that good things are going to come to our garden. 
and this is what it might look like inside our heads. Again, these expectations. When we are the gardener, we are the vine. This way of thinking, it's a glimpse into the depths of our hearts. Now, what Jesus is saying, when you remain in him and the vine and are pruned by his heavenly father, you will bear much fruit. That's true. That's his promise. And that fruit, it is not for you. That fruit is to care and to bless others, to uplift and to build others up that they may know our Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 8 says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So God is glorified and people are encouraged when you bear fruit. You see, you enjoy the purpose that you have in bearing fruit. You are fulfilled in bearing fruit because you see people benefiting from your life and your relationship with God. And this is an extraordinary experience. This is the God that we believe in. This is the Jesus that we follow. God says, I'll be glorified. Others will be blessed, built up and encouraged in their lives. And this is all me working through you. Consider this today, right now. If the fruit of the spirit is love, then someone else is going to benefit from God's love flowing through you. If the fruit of the Spirit is patience and kindness, then they are lifted up in their life because of your patience and kindness. So when was the last time you helped someone feel better about their circumstances or their life because you gave them a great dose of patience and kindness? Maybe it's, it's been a while. Maybe it's been too long. So maybe now if you would be empowered by the Spirit of God and the fruit that's coming forth from your life, instead of being in line at the supermarket and, you know, about to blow your stack and you're giving the cashier a kind of a subtle but stern look, you're frustrated and you're aggravated, a look of disapproval because, you know, she's not moving quick enough or maybe she's being way too kind and friendly with the person she's talking to and like, you know, really not the place right now in this time. And you're doing this, you're thinking this way instead of living a life connected to the vine, Jesus, being pruned by your heavenly father. Now, if you do that, now you're empowered to give her patience and kindness as she places your 20 rolls of toilet paper in your cart, right? When you come to a place where God is bearing fruit in you, someone else is getting blessed. I want you to picture that right now. Someone else in your life could be blessed by God working for you. I want you to literally picture who that person is right now. I want you to feel it deeply. I want you to own it. In just thinking that way, you are beginning to live a life greater than yourself, outside yourself. You're, gonna, you're living a life that's going to outlast you. We receive the blessing when we watch others benefit from us and our bearing fruit. Those others are our spouses, our children, our parents, our friends, those we're in close relationship with. This is the way out of the crisis we're in. This is the path that God is paving for us right now to see our way through this spiritually strong, emotionally regulated, huh? Better than ever that we would grow in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this difficulty and uncertainty.
that's upon our country in the midst of the pain and the loss, God can and will be glorified in you. If not you, then who? If not now, then when? So John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Remaining in the vine is key. You and I need to remain connected to Jesus. He made a way for us to do that. He came to earth for us, lived a sinless life. He gave his life on the cross and he was raised from the dead, resurrected. This is our Jesus. Now, remaining at times can also mean rejecting, rejecting sources that have, and things that have come into our life that are not the true vine Jesus. So Jesus did say, I am the true vine. That word true there in the original language, the Greek means, means authentic, the real deal. And so I imagine he's insinuating that there are, there's are false vines that we could connect ourselves to, right? False ways and things that we would tap into to maintain our existence and have guidance and purpose in our lives. Remaining in Jesus means rejecting these false vines. And it also means rejecting a mediocre life. A life that comes from, is derived from these false alternatives, these false sources. So when I was about 28 years old, I, you know, met this incredibly attractive and wonderfully sweet young woman. You saw her up here, you know, you know her to be my Christy. And uh, I, I, you know, really wasn't into the Jesus thing. I, I wasn't living out my life in faith in God. I wouldn't probably say I didn't believe in God. It, it just really wasn't part of, you know, the flow and the rhythm of my life. And we were talking that first time and Christy, you know, brings it up. And actually I told her, I said, I, I'm familiar with you Christians because I had been touched and blessed in my teens by people who believed in Jesus, truly followed him. I said, I, I pretty much know, you know, eventually you're going to bring the conversation up to or out to, do I believe in Jesus? So just put it out there. Let's get it out of the way. And so she asked me the question, do you believe in Jesus? And I said, you know, yeah, I do. And then I said, yeah, I, I think I know where you're going in your head with this. You're, you're thinking, yeah, he, you know, he doesn't really believe in Jesus. And I, I said, you know, I really do believe in Jesus. The difference between you and me is you, you believe what Jesus says, what the Bible says about Jesus. You believe what Jesus says to do, and you have confidence and trust to, to do that. And, and I, you know, and that's cool. I mean, I, I, that's really good. I can't do that. I, I've attempted to it. I've tried it. And, you know, it gives me a headache. It mucks up my life. I, I, I just know what I do, how to kind of keep it together, how to manage my life, how to, you know, keep my boat afloat. And that really seems to work for me. What I was saying as I look back now is I'm content living a mediocre life, something that I've assembled, something that I can manage and something that I can from fear, fear of not keeping it together, fear of not, you know, sustaining it, fear of not measuring up, fear of not being ready that I can turn around and, you know, keep this going. And that, my friends, is a mediocre life, a life that was lived out from me being the vine, me being the gardener and me having my little garden where I lived for myself. But then I met Jesus and everything changed. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. See, Jesus is the true vine and it is time 
for us to remain. It is time for us to remain in the vine and have peace in the vine, to abide in the vine, to rest in Jesus. While God, our Father, even now, mercifully, graciously prunes us, takes away those things that would hinder our growth and puts us in a place where we can live the most fullest, the most fulfilling, the most fruitful, beautiful life. When we remain in Jesus, the true vine, we can experience God's love and his joy. Yeah, even right now, even today, this week, regardless of what happens, we are not people of circumstances blown like the waves of the sea to and fro. Even right now, we can experience God's love and joy. God has a place on the vine for you. Jump in, get in. Today, come to Jesus. Come to the true vine. In John chapter 15, Jesus calls you friend. He calls me his friend. You know, and he says, because you're my friend, I'm showing you the way. Jesus also says in the Gospels that I'm going to my Father in heaven and I'm preparing a place for you. This is amazing. Let us just dwell on this. Let us, it's hard and difficult and astonishing is what's going on. Let us gaze at that, but glance at the promises of God. And, and gaze, I mean, at the promises of God. Let us glance at these, albeit horrific and just mounting issues as temporary, because they are temporary. But what is permanent is the promises of God. Let us just gaze at that and gaze at how amazing Jesus is. If you're here today and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, I, I invite you, Jesus invites you to come to him just as you are. Ask God, as I did, to forgive you of your sins. These things that took place when you are playing the role of the vine, of the gardener in your garden, keeping your life together, huh? Know that God forgives you and he accepts you even, even now as you are responding to what God has started in you. God has awakened you of your need of him. Know this. God has poured his spirit into your heart right now and he's drawing you closer to him. This is a supernatural thing that even you are, that you would even think this way, that you would even continue to listen to these words I'm saying about living outside yourself in such a time like this. This is supernatural. This is God in you. This is your creator living out in you right now in this moment. And he's drawing you close to him so that you will bear fruit, that you will bless others, that you encourage others, that you will shine like a star in the universe in such a time like this. This is the God that you want to have a relationship. Now, as you trust in Jesus, as you've confessed your sins, if you've chosen to follow him, you've begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've come to this place of trusting in Jesus, if, if you have this and you're filled with this hope, then at the end of my message, you're going to see a link. That link will bring you to a, a form that, that is going to say these words, I'm ready to take the next step. <laughs> I'm taking a step out of the mediocre and into the magnificent to follow Jesus. And even in the midst of all that's happening, 
you want to complete that form, send it in to us. We will send you out a package. It has a, a unique Bible that really speaks to where you're at right now in your relation with God and some other good information to give you traction. We rejoice with what's happening in your life. We cannot wait to see you and to worship with you. John chapter 15, verses 12 through 13, as we move to close. Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus says, you are my friends. He says this in the 15th chapter of John. And he says, as friends of God, love others, love each other. We love each other because God first loved us, right? And it's not easy to love each other right now. It's like we don't have the energy emotionally, physically. People are behaving in ways and responding in ways that can be frustrating or confusing. We don't understand why people are doing certain things and, and they don't understand why we're doing certain things. But can you pause right now? And from the Spirit of God in you, can you pray for each other? Can you bear fruit that's going to benefit other people and bless them and encourage them. You can because you are remaining in the vine and God is pruning you and there is something greater going on in you than just the current circumstances. Bless others. Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another. Jesus says, love people not because they deserve it, right? But because I loved you. Friends, make the effort. Love somebody today. Take a step out in faith. Reach out, knowing that all that you're doing is a result of you remaining in the vine. All that you're doing is a result of God pruning you. Huh? And even if it's difficult and, and trying, you know that fruit is coming out of your life to bless others, to help them, to make a difference, and that you are living life large right now. And that out of this will come a you that you never could imagine. And you'll do things you never thought you could have did. And you'll be in places you never thought you could have arrived at. In this time of crisis, know God is with us. In this time of crisis, God is faithful. He is living and he is loving. Let us rest in him. I deeply have affections for all of you. You're in my prayers. To God be the glory.